Welcome to The Hoop Commitment. I'm your host, Mike Nielsen. Join me every week to get inside the greatest minds in basketball nutrition, training, and leadership to elevate your game and improve the way you eat, train, and lead. Welcome to episode 77. Well, March has definitely been full of madness this year. Unfortunately, my ladies' eggs were part of all the upsets that happened in the first two rounds. It's really difficult to end the season this way because you get to know and love the athletes and you want to send your seniors off with a deep run. But at least I take comfort in knowing that the five women that are leaving the program will be wildly successful in life after basketball. And today, we have a Hoop Commitment podcast first. Instead of interviewing just one guest, I was joined on the show by Brett Ledbetter, Lisa Fortier, and Travis Knight. Brett has been working with our men's and women's basketball teams for the last couple years, helping with the personal development of our players and our staff. And while you might not have heard of Brett Ledbetter, he's a household name in the college basketball world, having worked with Florida men's and Oregon's women's basketball programs. And I was also lucky enough to have my friend and colleague Travis Knight on the show, who was our men's basketball strength coach, and he shared the thought process behind his weekly PGMs, which stand for Personal Growth Mondays. With Brett's influence, Travis has been doing weekly meetings with the players to help with their mindset and team building. And then to top it all off, Gonzaga's women's basketball head coach, Lisa Fortier, came on to share the interior work she's doing with Brett to help her find balance in life so she can be a more centered coach. You see, in addition to being the WCC Coach of the Year multiple times, she's also a wife and a mother of three, which means she's a little busy. This episode is packed with great insights. So here's Brett Ledbetter, Travis Knight, and Lisa Fortier. Lisa, Travis, Brett, welcome to the Hoop Commitment Podcast. How y'all doing? Pumped to be here, man. I'm good. Doing good, brother. Uh, I love it. Well, this is going to be a fun one. I've never interviewed more than one person. And so we're really testing my skills. Thankfully, I'm a master at editing. So I know this is going to turn out well, but I'd love to start out because people, if you listen to the podcast, you already know Travis and Lisa, but to have Brett on is a huge honor because he's really been part of our team for the last couple of seasons. And I'd love to be able to find out about what drives winning and kind of your niche in the space of human performance. So when I was in college, I started a basketball program and it was an academy that we ran for 10 years and it was a really a grassroots approach. And so the reason we started doing podcasts, because these come unnatural for me, Mike, is because as I went to college and, and worked with the pro athletes, there was always someone in the grassroots level that they pointed to that had a profound impact on them. And so for What Drives Winning, our mission is to resource that space, to give people affordable resources that they can use with their teams because they can spend a lot of time with athletes prior to them coming to college. And they have such an influence over their internal fabric that helps them navigate once they get to college and start climbing the mountain. And how have you helped us at Gonzaga? You know, you wear a lot of different hats. You work with our men's team, our women's team. You're kind of a consultant for the whole university. What value have you been bringing to us? 
I don't know the answer to that question. I do know that uh, what I appreciate most about Gonzaga is how organic the approach has been. So Billy Donovan, who is now with the Chicago Bulls and is a good friend of Mark Few, he called Mark and said, hey, you should have a conversation with Brett. And he and I talked and then he referred me to Travis. And I didn't really have a lot of context as to who the team would be coming back that next year. But Trav, I think we had maybe three or four conversations prior to getting involved. And you were explaining to me that you all were trying to take the next step in your program in terms of you had a retreat, you were bringing in speakers, and we really didn't know the direction in which it would head. Do you remember those conversations? For sure. I mean, they do kind of blend together, but I know that there was alignment from the first conversation just because we both were looking to do something different than what we had done, but also mostly different than what was already out in the space. And so when we got together, Mike, it was hysterical just because I think the coaches were in there and I didn't have a heads up on whether or not the team would be vocal or not or how what the dynamics would be. And then I just remember asking a lot of questions and not getting a ton of feedback. And then when we started this idea around Personal Growth Mondays, it seemed to me like, Trav, the first time you spoke with the team, there wasn't a ton of that. And then by the end, it took a life of its own on. Yeah, it totally did. And, you know, I I always kind of wondered in the back of my mind if the PGM concept with something you had prior, and then this just became an opportunity to do it, or if literally it was problem solving 101, which was it? Probably a combination. So when I started working with universities, it was at Florida, and we decided to bring all the coaches together and collaborate around different concepts and try and tap into the intellectual capital. And Billy Donovan, who I just mentioned, was at Florida at that time. And so we saw it work on a coaching level there. And then we started this conference to try and do it on a national level. The PGM idea was the first time that we had ever done something that routinely and that frequent on a team level. And so can you explain a little bit how you work with primarily Travis and the men's basketball team, what these PGMs are and how it's valuable? Well, Travis is the expert on that. But I will say that for me personally, I think that at the beginning, it was truly trying to figure out how to help the team find their voice. And so we wanted to move away from the traditional presentation format and go to more of a facilitation. And so it was really going to be about the questions that we were going to ask. And Trav, maybe you can speak to this. It seemed from my perspective, year one, it was a lot of you and I getting together on Sundays and me pitching you videos and saying, hey, here's some of the suggested questions that I've used in the past. Use what you want and then scrap what you don't. To now, I guess we're in year three of this. Is that right, Trav? Yes. It's gone more to, hey, Brett, here's what I'm going to do. Do you have anything you want to add? So Trav, it's been a continuum and maybe you can speak to your journey as the facilitator and what you've learned on that, Travis. Yeah. As you said, in the first year, it was a lot of us meeting for half hour to an hour every Sunday before that Monday session and me trying to give you a little bit of context of what was going on at the time with the team. And then you saying, ah, I've got something that's going to fit that. Here's what you would want to show. Here's how I would set it up. Here's where I would want to go with it. And, uh, the, 
ultimate objective was, as you said, to try to help them find their voice and to create more of a, a chemistry within the locker room where we were going into depth rather than just surface. And that has evolved to, I think, where you're at now is I think I have a, a better feel for what we need and even what might work. And I think probably the most value you've given me this year is actually talking me out of some bad ideas. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I don't even know what ideas I taught you out of, Trav. I just know oh. that here's what's hysterical. We always have a couple of people that we pull from and I've just learned, and I, I texted you this, Trav, that you have such a pulse for the team. And because you're in it with them, it's like, I just completely defer to you. And I think that now Trav is truly leading pretty much all of it. And through that three-year progression, what I've learned is just the landscape of Gonzaga as a whole and being a Jesuit institution trying to understand the real value of achievement versus the journey. That's really opened up some of the discussions on a player level, but also moving into the staff level. So give me an example of what these meetings might look like. I know we have listeners saying, okay, personal growth Monday, I'm sure we're probably working on the player's interior climate. You bring people down in a room. Are you doing presentations for them? Are you asking questions? Are you facilitating conversation? I think that's a question for Travis. So a sample from this year, when we were on the road, I think we were in Indianapolis actually, or we're headed next. And we did a short PGM and we talked about this study that was done with uh, Spaghetti Tower and kindergartners versus business graduate students and why the kindergartners actually had a higher performance in this category. And it was basically that nobody cared who got the credit who got the status. There was no status management. It was all about the project. And so at that point, we would watch the clip, show the picture, get their thoughts of what their initial read is on what do you think this is about? Why do you think we're talking about this? Or what's your biggest takeaway? And based off of that, one person might answer and then you might say, does anybody want to add to that? Or does anybody think something totally different? And what happens, especially when there's a different opinion, is that creates a lot of potential potential conversation about why do we see things differently? And is there a balance or a blend of these two that we should probably take away from this? And Thanks, then Trav. inevitably always bring it back to like, what, how does that relate to us? Trev, can I ask you about that? Because you, you said that there was a pivotal moment for you as the facilitator, because it is a totally different skill set than being a presenter, where mm -hmm. you said that the conversation was the destination. Yes. So First of all, if somebody said, how would you judge a successful session or meeting? I would say it was one in which I talked the least. So if there could be a situation where I didn't feel like I was trying to say more in order to get them to talk more, that they were talking and I just had to kind of channel the conversation, that was a really good conversation. And that inevitably they would maybe remember a few things that were sticky throughout the year, but what they associated with that room was going to be a safe and challenging energy that they were going to have to contribute, but that they wanted to contribute because it mattered. And that in and of itself is worth whatever the journey requires. So Mike, simply put, I would say that it's approximately 10 to 15 minutes. You're trying to bring in videos, quotes, music, movie clips that speak to them and the experience they're going through. And so for the coach out there that says, hey, maybe I should institute this into my program. I think the thing that makes the men's program so unique is the trust level 
between Coach Few and Travis in that he gives Trav full autonomy because he understands the alignment and values. And I think the team doesn't necessarily associate Travis like he's a coach. I think they look at him as a bridge and a facilitator to help them groove their team identity. And that thumbprint, I don't know if you've seen that, Mike, but that to me is, is one of the ultimate symbols that I've ever been a part of because like the iPhone, when you getting your fingerprint, it doesn't all form at once. And I think that speaks to the room that those conversations and the journey with the season, they're forming an identity and they're all putting their unique DNA on that Gonzaga symbol, just as you did when you were a player. Is that something you'd recommend to a coaching staff to have a strength coach or someone that's maybe not exactly part of the full-time coaching staff that dictates playing time running these meetings, or can it be done both ways? Can be done both ways. I see Tim Corbin, who's the Vanderbilt baseball coach or PJ Fleck, who's the Minnesota football coach. They host their meetings. I think the benefit of having Travis is I think coach view is a bottom line guy and he is going to hold the standard. And I think by having a head coach who focuses on holding that line, that gives the other guys in the environment the ability to partner with the player to help them get to that line. So I think it's a great counterbalance. And you've done a lot of work with Lisa, and I'm actually don't know all the conversations that you have and how it works, but I'd love to hear how you actually have worked with head coaches to be able to help facilitate growth in their players or even growth in the coaches. Maybe, Lisa, we could start by looking at it from a department standpoint. So when you started doing the collaborations with all the other head coaches, very much like we did with the PGMs and the men's basketball team, what was the main benefit you got going through that? Well, I think that we'd been wanting something more for a while, and I don't think we knew exactly what that was. And it turns out that it was your style and the things that you brought to our attention because initially we just, we were looking for a way to collaborate. We were looking for me personally and some of the coaches I talked to individually, we were looking for just a way to continue being better at coaching. And we can find a lot of things on how to be better at basketball or our collective sports, but it was difficult to find someone who could teach us how, and with you, I think you teach us how to look at things, the right things. So we're not looking at we've all got degrees, most of us master's degrees, a lot of them in sports information or sports administration, but not really in relating to and coaching and bringing out the best in 18 to 22 year olds. So that was the biggest thing for me. And I think for the department so far that we, why we like working with you so much was that we were uh, just having the same thing. I mean, it was PGM for adults, PGM for coaches. Um, We were looking at videos, some of the same stuff that Travis and Brett were showing to the men's players and some of it was different, but we're listening to other coaches speak, people who have been doing it longer, people who have had different experiences than us, and just been able to learn through their experiences, um, at least in the beginning parts, and then just stir up some thoughts in ourselves on how we take what we've learned from them or, and then apply that to our own teams or our own coaching philosophies or our own situations. Lisa, if you were an athletic, like, so if an athletic director was listening into this, And you were going to say, hey, here's the biggest benefit that we got as a coaching roster meeting together. What would you communicate to them? I would say 
that the biggest benefit for us has been the camaraderie is great. And we haven't done that at Gonzaga as close as we are here at GU. And it's a small place. I think that we've gotten to know each other a lot better. So I think that that's really useful. But for me, and I think for the other coaches, it just, it gives us a bunch of stuff to think about and challenge ourselves with. And if not, then you're just in the cycle on the hamster wheel, in the rat race, call it whatever you want of you go to practice and then you complain about your this or that, or this isn't working and how do we change it? And then you go back to it. And it's so much more than that if you want to have a successful program. And so you're never allowed to, or you never let yourself take the time to think about things outside of the box a little bit. And that's all that it is in our meetings with you. It's, it's outside the box. It's not, it has zero to do with basketball. You've told me nothing on who should play or who's any good or who we should recruit. Um, it's just about managing people and ourselves better. And I think that that's provided tremendous. We started doing it at a, re- a great time because then we all go into COVID and there's all this extra time where we can't be with our athletes. And so I think the timing of it was also really great, but we're th- thinking about things at a much deeper level. And I think that's made us all a lot better at coaching our teams, even though it's not directly people wouldn't look at it and think it's directly related. It totally is. And Mike, I have to share like, so there's, I guess, nine departments I'm doing this with at the college level. And there are very few coaches that I work with that look forward to going to functions that are put on by the athletic department. And so because it's that, because everyone's busy and they've got families, it's how do we create connection with our coaches And I think that what we found is that when you can facilitate a meaningful conversation around growth, coaches don't mind blocking off some time for that. And then through those discussions around growth, they end up connecting with one another, not only because the the immediate conversation they're having, but I can guarantee you, Lisa, and we haven't talked about this. I know you've written coaches letters or you've gone to their office because of things that you've heard that you might not have known were going on, but then you started paying attention. And then it's that support that starts to grow from those conversations that really does connect people. Is that what you say one of your strengths are or your purpose is to create those conversations? Because what's really interesting about you is I've gotten to know you over the last couple of years. I've gotten to sit in the meetings with the other coaches. And I notice when they ask you questions, what you're really good at is asking another question to answer the question. You don't not necessarily give it an answer. Is that something that you do purposefully? If it were about me having the answers, I would not be facilitating that conversation. So the more I've gotten into this thing, it's more about understanding the right questions to ask as opposed to having the right answers. And so I like to position myself as the student in those meetings because there's so much intellectual capital if we just steer the conversation in a certain direction, we can pull those experiences out. So I am much more comfortable being the facilitator than speaking on things that I think that I know. What are some of the results that you've been really excited about? You work with a lot of athletic departments, a lot of different teams. If you say this has been something that I'm really excited about that I'm seeing, let's just say at Gonzaga, what would the answer to that be? So for the men's basketball team, just to be able to watch the action between the action inside the game, it's how they move as a unit and respond to one another. Their connection is palpable. So on a team level, that's 
so inspiring to watch. And then on an individual level, that's where I might like to bring Lisa in is we've started to do a lot of self-awareness work and just hearing the progression of maybe where she started versus how she's processing certain things now, those things inspire me. Lisa, do you want to talk about that journey? Sure. I would just say that I still am just like everybody else. And I was a year ago or so, I was stressed Lisa, out about... Hey, Mike, I got a great story for you. Man. So oh, gosh. We doing? <laughs> hey, so we were doing... I had Jason, who does all of our filming up in Spokane, and we were going to do a couple of different interviews. And Lisa was one of those interviews. And I was asking her really deep questions. And then once we hit the camera, your listeners can't see this, but Lisa's like, oh my gosh, what's he going to say? Her hands are in his face. She just put her hands in her face. And Lisa, do you remember that moment? I mean, kind of. I don't know what I did or said. (laughs) It's just like, what am I doing with my life? (laughs) I think all coaches feel that way at some point, that there's just so many things coming at them that it can be overwhelming. And to learn how to manage some of that anxiety, I think that's where we're headed next from a coaching frontier. And I think that that's exactly what Lisa has worked diligently on to help equip her players to deal with that stuff too. What what does that conversation look like that you might have with Lisa? You know, we're now we're going uh, into our conference tournament. We're on a 17 game winning streak. We've been top 25 all year and we just lost a big game. Uh, so I'd love to hear like, what are some of the questions you're asking her? What are some of the things that you might be able to uncover about a way that, that she can kind of position this to the team versus our men's team, who's been number one in the nation, has not lost a game. They're going into the conference tournament. What are some of those conversations that you might be having with Travis to be able to say, here are some good questions to be able to facilitate uh, to the guys. What are maybe some of the different routes you take with those two different teams? Well, for Lisa, it's usually a reading. And so what we've been doing is there's a book called The Way to Love. And we've been exploring chapter by chapter in depth through questions. And I think that it just kind of goes wherever she takes it. So I'll have a a star question and it'll just be, and, and what we do, Mike, is because of COVID, it's actually worked out awesome. We record every conversation. So I'll ask her questions and I'm only asking questions and then she answers and then she goes back and views herself as if it's a different person. And then I just ask, what do you notice about that person? And then she'll say what she, the observation she has, and then we go into the new content. And so it repositions in such a quick way, how they see themselves. Lisa, can you speak to that process? Yeah. I mean, it feels like you're listening to a podcast. It's really awkward the first couple of times that you do it. And I definitely don't watch the video. I just listen to it. But it's really helpful to because sometimes I say things in the conversation and I don't even realize I've said them or you don't even realize how it sounds when you listen back to it. And to think of if I was I know Brett's hearing it, but if I was to play that for you, Mike, or you, Travis, and what that sounds like, um, not in, in a way for you to be judging me. But just like, is my, are my words actually matching up with what my intention is behind them? And then we've talked a little bit recently about like what my impact is with those words. And so again, getting away from, not because of the comparative part, but just sometimes I say things and think they're a certain thing or a certain way. And really in retrospect, that's not at all what it's like. And so that's been really important. And 
just the, the time that you're taking again, because we don't spend a whole lot of time looking at ourselves, right? You're so busy with whatever's next in your to-do list and that it's been a really great process that I highly recommend. I don't know. I don't know in what other scenario people could do it, but it's been phenomenal for me. And I feel like the growth that I've made in probably six months since we really got shut down with COVID, I guess we're at a year now, but six to 12 months has been more than any education I could have done or my experience that I have as a coach um, over 15 years. How about this, Mike? You ready for this one, man? The last call we, we were on and she was saying, you know, I should ask my kids something. And I said, are they at home? And she said, yes. So she called her daughter in who's six. And I interviewed her daughter about her mother. That was great. It was really awesome. Let me tell you. And, but then we had our follow-up the next week. And as you went back and watched some of those things, it helps you see things in a different way. For sure. It just, I'm listening to Quincy talk about me and how I'm always trying to do my best for the team and what it feels like to her. And I'm like, oh, well, I thought that that comes across in this way. And really it comes across in a better vocabulary. And she's, she has a better vocabulary than her mom. She's gotten that from her dad, I'm sure, because he's got a great vocabulary, but. Hey, so I literally, so Lisa asks her what one thing mommy could do better. And she literally says she could be less aggressive about pursuing perfection. She did say that. And then she said, what, what could mommy do more of? And she said, reading to me before bed and making breakfast for me in the morning and morning cuddles. So that's what we've spent our last two weeks doing. (laughs) So my time with Brett is really valuable, as you can see. Isn't that amazing though, Mike? Because it's like, it feels so much more complicated as you're going through it. And our kids see everything because they see us in all the different spaces when we take the mask off of being coach. And the insight they could provide us is remarkable if there's a platform for us to listen to it. And how does that transfer to winning? We, we talk about what drives winning. And we're having Lisa's daughter, who is six-year-old, Count and this, I mean, this is typical bread. I love this. Now we have Quincy uh, providing the interview with with her mom, and you're sitting back listening. I'm loving this. But how does that drive winning? So to me, it's interesting because a lot of coaches obviously have the goal in mind of winning a national championship, and depending on where you are in your career, that's a 20 year goal. And so a lot of times, coaches will win it when they're 40 or 50. And so if they have children, their children are past the most malleable stages of influence. And so what I've seen with coaches is they often overvalue achievement prior to accomplishing it. And then once they accomplish it, they can now assess the sacrifices that went into it. And a lot of the national championship coaches I've worked with really went to a dark spot after winning it because they realized that the cost wasn't worth it and they can't go back and undo the value system that they programmed into their kids. And so seasoned vets will tell you that the word winning is a loaded word and it it's really should be uniquely defined by the individual. And so by having Quincy talk to Lisa at six it helps Lisa understand a healthy, sustainable approach towards chasing greatness 
to where she doesn't sacrifice all the things that truly matter most on that path. And that makes sense for someone who's in their 30s, 40s, 50s. What about the college athletes they are 18 to 21? How do you get them necessarily or to buy into this when there's so much other noise out there? There's so many other priorities and, and things pulling at them. We're in the middle of COVID, you know, social inequities. And does this ever turn into another meeting, another thing we have to go to? How do you keep that fresh for people? That's one of the best lessons I learned from the academy. I was so hyper in tune, them not getting sick of my voice, that I would interview all these coaches and then bring those clips to them and just ask them questions. So it was like they were interacting with the coach, not with me. And I think that by doing that and just asking questions, I had an athlete say, hey, man, you're one of the best coaches I've ever had. And my direct response to him was, you know why you feel that? Because you're coaching you. (laughs) You love yourself. And so I think what I try and do is provide a platform where they can coach themselves. And then I get out of the way. And so I think it's most athletes like to listen to themselves, especially if you tee up good questions. Now, for the 18 to 21 year old, what we found is they don't know what they don't know. And so if you can expose them to a new way that feels accurate in their core, they have less retraining than the adult does. So their growth actually can be accelerated because they don't have as many habits to undo. And Trav, I guess my question to you would be, as you've approached some of these conversations that are countercultural, what have you noticed working with that age bracket? You know, I've noticed that they have a, a strong ability to trust themselves and trust their, their gut in a way. And I think they can sense what's authentic and what's not. And I think as you continue to deliver things that are by their very nature authentic or in an authentic way, then their inclination is to be open to those things. And also to, as you create more consistency with that, I think there becomes almost a layering effect in which they're building like a deeper foundation just through continuing to build on top of that layer without doing a lot of negative things that would undermine it. So one of the things we talk about is the idea that we are here to balance, not to undermine and directly be in conflict with what you have to deal with out there. Then there's not as much turmoil between, well, he says this and he says this, which one is right? It's more about finding the balance between the both. And Mike, can I share with you one of the things I've I've noticed from Trav is his ability to remove conflict between head, what I think and what I feel. And through those conversations, he creates a pathway to remove the internal conflict. And I think when you do that, that can free the athlete up in a lot of ways to chase their best. Do you have experience with athletes that are just not interested in this personal growth work? They want to play hoops, you know, is that a result of the coach maybe not asking the right questions, not creating the right environment? Or are there kids that just have a tough exterior shell? And if so, how do you how, how have you dealt with that? To me, it's been more the latter, that the hardest barrier for me to overcome would just be the barrier of trust. And especially with high-level athletes, they're constantly have their antennas out. What's your intent here? And I think the the more you can remove yourself and ask thoughtful questions and then let them listen to themselves and you just say, that's interesting. You said that. 
and you're not injecting any of your opinions, I think that can accelerate the process. I think when it starts becoming you imparting wisdom to them, then, and rightfully so, because you're not in that situation. Like some of these athletes might think about this, truly, I want you to think about this. Let's say you put out the hoop commitment podcast and you got 20 messages and and just be honest for your listeners here. And they were going at you saying that's horrible. How would that impact you if you're being very honest? Well, that just happened last month. I put out a (laughs) podcast uh, with one of my mentors, a guy I love, and he has some different views than I do than most people do on a really hot topic right now. And I got skating emails, phone calls. Uh, It hurt a little bit for sure, because I think as I go through, especially what I'm doing, I'm doing it not just for myself, but I'm doing it for the benefit of people to be able to hear the best minds in basketball. Busting my tail just to help throw some. (laughs) This is stung a little bit. So here's my thing. So think about your visibility. Okay. And then if you were to multiply that intensity that you got from that podcast by a hundred, by a million, think about like the level of energy that invites into your life. And so for us to say to them, Hey, I know what you're going through. That's the quickest way to lose their trust. Because as the higher you go, the more they have access to everything, nobody to tell them no, all the guys want to be them and all the girls want to be with them. We have no idea how it is to live like that. Trav, I remember having a conversation with someone and I said, how often do you think Trav gets hit on, on Vegas? If he's walking down the boulevard in Vegas, how many women come up and offer him stuff. And Trev, I don't want to be presumptuous in this. What would happen in that scenario? <laughs> it's an audio podcast, but but he just held up the sign zero. Point being is add another zero and a, a one over there. That's a hundred. It's just a totally different frequency that those people live in. And the first thing I've found with people like that is to say, I have no idea what you're going through. Help me understand. That's like how I would accelerate trust. How does that work in the recruiting process? Because as a player, I was lucky enough to be a part of the recruiting visits where we brought guys in to see how they fit in. They might be great players, but you're like, they're not a great fit for the team. You know, coach might have the same thing, which is this is a really talented player, but they're a little bit of a head case or they're, they have a, a bad attitude. It sounds like kind of talking with you, some of that stuff could be overcome by being able to create a space where they can grow themselves. They can feel heard, you know, you give them resources. Does this impact, does this allow you to rec- recruit a larger portion of athletes that maybe were deemed fringe people before? I think that's highly contextual to the institution. I think that you have to weigh talent and maintenance and figure out what you're comfortable with taking on. Because I think what a lot of people neglect in the recruiting process when you get a talent is the collateral damage that that does for the rest of the team. Like if you watch the NBA, for example, and I think this is one of the most true lines in sport. This is Jay Wright from Villanova. He said that the most important job for a coach or the goal of a team is to get your best players the most committed to your core values. And trying to get some of these NBA stars to live out values and truly 
dominate the action between the action. That is a really tough task. And if your best player is complaining to the officials and you just watch what happens, then it starts to trickle and other people start to do it. That's why I think that Giannis is such a cool example at Milwaukee is if you ask players, is Giannis, how good is he from a basketball standpoint? Like, is he the best in the league? They would say no. Then how is it that he's the two-time MVP? And they would all agree that he dominates the action between the action. And Milwaukee has mirrored his development. And so to me, that speaks to who you bring into your environment that I don't think people assess the collateral damage if they're not going to uphold the standard. Well, this can go to all three of you guys, because I know, Lisa, you're recruiting athletes and you have young kids who you got to think about. They're going to be playing sports and same to you, Trav. But as a young dad uh, who has kids that love basketball and I'm one of, you know, I coach my kids teams, you see a couple of different options. You see these super teams where these kids have great exposure. They never lose when they're in the city. You also see, you know, teams like mine, where it's a, a group of kids with multiple different levels of abilities. Have you guys noticed any trends on success later on in basketball based off of success earlier in basketball in terms of winning? And maybe start with you, Brett. I would say that I, I'm a big believer, in, if we're just talking about the youth sport experience in general, I think it's really good for uh, kids to have different roles on different teams because I think it increases their empathy. So if they play a sport that they're not as good at versus where they're a star versus where maybe they're coming off the bench, all of those can be leveraged as teaching moments as a parent to help them with the sport that they excel at. So what is it like when you're coming off the bench and your best player doesn't trust you or they undermine your willingness to go all in and on your basketball team where you're the best, how can you prevent that from happening to someone like you? I think the more you can cross pollinate those experiences, a parent and teach through that, I think the more uh, diversified in terms of empathy, your kid can become. Travis, have you noticed with all the players that have come through, you've had guys that are walk-ons turned scholarship. You have guys that are not drafted and end up having a nice NBA career. You have guys that are lottery picks. Have you noticed any common theme between their upbringing, their parenting, their basketball experience? I would just kind of lean towards the idea of intrinsic motivation being a really powerful determinant of how much they can continue to improve. You know, we have to kind of set aside the genetic aspect that some people just develop late physically or that have certain physical gifts. But if everything else was equal, the ones who I've seen continually exceed expectation are the ones who felt that they had ownership over um, their own growth and development and that it wasn't simply up to the coach to manipulate that, but that it was kind of a collaborative experience. And so the more that they coached themselves and the more they were interested in taking ownership, the, the more that the, the coaching actually benefited. And um, that would probably be the strongest thing. Is that something as a parent you can help your kid with? Because I hear this a lot. Hey, if my kid wants to do it, he's going to do it. There's no uh, participation on their end. Either kids love sports and they're going to work hard or they don't. Do you see it that way? Or do you see yourself creating environments that might lend itself to where the kid would have more intrinsic motivation? 
Well, I think that there are kids who are naturally more oriented that way. But I think if you're talking about as a parent, you can be involved in an autonomy support situation where you're inviting them to make decisions and then you're supporting those decisions and in some degrees helping them stay committed to them. But ultimately, you're allowing them not just to choose appropriate for the situation. You, know, you don't need to let your kids decide every little thing or big decisions sometimes where they want to go to school when they might be too young to know what things really matter. Or, but I think as you're encouraging, they're learning through their own decision making, which I think is really important. And then helping them process those decisions afterwards, but then also saying, we fully support you and we're going to help you stay committed to it to see it through. And Lisa, I'm sure your friends at some point are a little bit jealous of you because not only are you a Division One basketball coach, so is your husband. You have access to Brett and sports nutritionists. You have you know one of the greatest strength coaches in the nation working with your team. Your kids have access to so much. Does that mean they're going to be Division One athletes? No, probably not. And I don't know if any of my friends are jealous of the fact that I work with my husband, but. No, I mean, there's so much more to it. Both of the things, all the things that Brett said and Travis, and some people think that the path to a scholarship is to be on these super loaded teams. And that may be true. That might help you with a path to a scholarship, but that doesn't help you with success at that next level. You know, you might get put in the wrong spot because you're on this team that everybody gets over-recruited, or you might be under-evaluated because you're on a team with all these players who are actually better than you. And so you're not playing. Or there's just so many things that go into it. We have a cruddy old hoop that kind of swings to the side a little bit in our front yard. And we debate all the time, like, do our kids need a sport court? And I'm like, no. I mean, you don't have to have any of that stuff, right? It's it's a lot more that goes into it. There's not a recipe. You you have to work. But there's not a, a direct direct instruction manual. Otherwise, everybody would do it. It's about more than just the skill set, which you have to have. But the really great players, the ones that get Division One scholarships, are very few, and that comes for a lot of other reasons besides just your skill set and Mike, your strength coach. <laughs> and Mike, let me just tell you, I, I heard a great parenting line. They said that the more you control on the front end, the less you influence on the back end. And if your kid is truly going to be great, they're going to spend an inordinate amount of time in the process. And the process is like 99% of the time. And then the achievement's like 1%. So if they don't love what they're doing and you, you pair that with how we spend our days is of course, how we spend our lives. We're setting our kids up to not enjoy their time on earth. So we have a lot of high school coaches uh, listening, college coaches as well that are loving this, that are saying, yes, I want to be able to provide this environment, not just for my staff or myself, but for my athletes. What are some steps they can take? Because not everyone has access to you or to Travis or, or to Lisa. What would you say to a coach that says, I'm interested in personal growth? Do you have a first step for them? The, the most recent book, we asked the question, how do you build an environment where people do their best work? And we studied a lot of the leaders and really what it came back to is how you define, manage, and model your expectations. And so what I would challenge any of the high school coaches that might not be familiar with what drives winning is to go to whatdriveswinning.com and hear from all the great coaches that the videos are out there for free. And if those resonate with you, then you can move into maybe looking at the books 
and exploring some of those ideas. And then ultimately, um, if you wanted to get involved with the coaching lab, we meet twice a month and we just explore ideas. It's a question-based community around character development, behavior management, and priority alignment. And Lisa, I know that you've joined us a couple of times on the coaching lab. As you see that eclectic mix of coaches from all levels across the country, how do you process it? I love it. I don't know who any of them are. Um, everyone's, I usually scroll over to see if there's anybody whose name I recognize. I don't know what sports they coach. I don't know what level. And um, I think it's better that way because I'm not making an assumption that they do or don't know more than I know or um, can or cannot help me. Um, you're just kind of going to it and listening to it for what it is and figuring out, you know, how that applies or, you know, it, it sometimes it's not even directly, it just sparks something different in you. So I think it's phenomenal. Um, minus the part where you always put me on the spot and ask me questions. And I'll make a pitch. I believe it was your book, What Drives When, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I love that book because when we, we first started doing our What Drives Winnie meetings or personal growth Mondays with women's basketball team, I literally read the book and I said, I really like that exercise. That was a cool way. To, that's, this is what our team needs right now. And so whether or not you're going to follow those exercises or those conversations uh, directly, they're great for being able to uh, a starting point for people. Mike, I appreciate you saying that. And I, I just want to say that before we jumped on and started recording, I asked you to lift up your shirt. And the reason I asked you to lift up your shirt is I wanted to do, see the scar. And how big is that scar, Mike? Well, it gets bigger every time I talk about it. It's about 10 inches. Next week, it'll be 11 inches, 12 inches. I guess. And the reason I bring that up, man, is because you are an inspiration to us. And I know that when I heard the news, there was no doubt in my mind that your fight would not only inspire everyone around you, it would inspire everyone who's ever crossed paths with you. And I know that Lisa uh, shared with me that her team wrote you letters. And I just think about it from your children's perspective to see the impact that their dad is making and really truly trying to put out great work that can help resource the grassroots level. I have unbelievable respect for you and I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. I don't know how to wrap up a podcast better than that for me, but I'd love to finish maybe highlighting you a little bit because same thing from the first time I met you. I knew you were special. You've been a, a great influence on our team, uh, me as a strength coach. Where can our listeners find out more about you? If they punch over it, we talked about the lab, learn.whatdriveswinning.com. Everything's there. And uh, they can look at the free videos that we have out there. Awesome. Trav, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on. You guys are already all-stars on my podcast. And I feel so lucky because we're going to end this call and I get to hang out with you. And I'm going to be really bonded with Lisa, hopefully for about a month in San Antonio, which would be kind of fun. Let's go. Appreciate you, brother. Thanks, Mike. Now that's a wrap on episode 77. And I hope you join me next week where I get to interview physical therapist Brian Cronin on Prehab for Basketball. He went deep into the strategies of reducing the chance of injuries like ankle sprains and knee pain and ACL tears. And in addition to being a great physical therapist, Brian is also a great human being. Along with our third partner, Jeff Hart, we all started U-District Physical Therapy back in 2004. 
And I always tell people, the best part of owning a small business for me has been their friendship. So if you want to stay healthy over the course of your basketball career, this is definitely the episode to listen to. And to all of you who are committed, we'll earn your X. Ex-